He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Those words were written in a spiritual journal of a young man in his 20s who decided that his passion in life was going to be to serve the Lord and not just serve the Lord, but to try to go to an unreached people who had not only never seen white people, but had never heard the gospel. And so in the 1950s, a missionary named Jim Elliott went into an area of Ecuador where there was an Aka Indian tribe seeking to share the gospel, the good news with them, and he was martyred. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, talking about his life, to gain what he cannot lose, eternal life. As we think about serving God, serving him through our our time and our energy and our effort and working to make a difference for the Lord. We find that here, Jim Elliott willing to give his life to go wherever. And yet, 400 years before Jesus came, there was a group of people who went to the temple, who followed and did worship things, who said that they were followers of God And yet they came right out and said, serving God is useless. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Malachi chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse number 13 today. Malachi chapter 3. And we're going to think about serving God. Think about walking through the challenges and trials of life. Is, Is serving God something that we should still be doing? Notice in verse number 13, Malachi Chapter 3, your words against me are harsh, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is useless to serve God. What have we gained by keeping his requirements and walking mournfully before the Lord of armies? So now we consider the arrogant to be fortunate. Not only do those who commit wickedness prosper, they even test God and escape. So there's this crew that says, hey, we not only shouldn't serve God, but we, we like, we want to live like the arrogant and, and we want to, to live in wickedness so that we can prosper. That's their heart. Then the Lord turns to the next crew. At that time, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. The Lord took notice and listened. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and had high regard for his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of armies. My own possession on that day I am preparing. I will have compassion on them as a man has compassion on his son who serves him. So you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, and between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Look at verse number 18. You're going to see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not. And with that, let's pray. God, would you uh, speak to us today and open the truth of your word to our hearts today? 
And Lord, draw us to Jesus in your name. Amen. The book of Malachi, as we think about this being Palm Sunday, was written about 400 years before Jesus came. And it really was a time of difficulty for the children of Israel at that time. There was a famine going on in the land. There was uncertainty and threats with the neighbors around them. But most of all, they had been waiting for the Messiah to come. Since being carried off into Babylon, the children of Israel had come back to Jerusalem, had rebuilt the temple, rebuilt the walls, and now they were waiting for the Messiah to come, but there is no Messiah, there is no prosperity, there is no no uh, security, there's just this life of, of drudging through, transition, insecurity, unknown, where's the Messiah, and life was very difficult. Some of you may be going through part of your life right now, and it is just difficult. There are hard times that all of us face in life. It may be difficult because of, of relationships. It may be difficult because of, of work. It may be difficult because of finances. But everybody at some time is going to go through a time of difficulty in their life, and their life was just difficult. But we find that there were two different attitudes of the people. There were some who the Lord calls the righteous, who feared and revered and followed and served him, even when life was hard. And then there were some who doubted and dishonored and disrespected and disregarded God and his word altogether. And God knew. God knew what was going on in their life. And God Through this passage, we find that in the times of uncertainty, this is what happens. Listen, God confronts the wicked and God calms the righteous. In times of difficulty and uncertainty, God confronts the wicked and God calms the righteous. So as we look at this passage, we find in verse number 13, the Lord again speaks up and and begins to confront them. Your words against me are harsh. Now, God is going to tell them what their words are. They may be saying these out loud, but they, they may be just in their own mind thinking these words. But God knows because this is what we see about God. God's knowledge is certain. God's knowledge is certain. There is not anything that God does not know. God knows it all. Matter of fact, as you think of the word omniscience, that gives the picture that God knows all things. He not only knows all things that are actual, but God knows all things that are possible. God knows everything about your life. Matter of fact, David wrestled with this in Psalm 139. If you look back or listen to Psalm 139, listen to what David has to say. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from afar away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it. You have encircled me and placed your hand upon me. So David here in Psalm 139 says, Lord, you know when I'm sitting down, you know when I'm standing up, you know when I'm walking down the road. You even know what I'm going to say before I say it. So God's knowledge is absolutely certain about everything. Some of you may be here this morning and you're carrying something that no one else knows about. You're facing a deep 
a deep, dark secret that no one else, you, you would be afraid to open up and let anybody even into that part of your life and you're carrying it today. And I want to tell you, God knows. God knows. God knows everything. So in this context of God knowing everything, And knowing that these people are saying hard and harsh words against him, we find that because God's knowledge is certain, that God now is going to know and confront those who are wicked. Notice as we pick back up in verse number 13, God knows and he confronts these who are the wicked. Your words against me are harsh. They're hard words. Yet you ask, what have we spoken against you? Now, this has been their classic answer through the book of Malachi. God says, I love you. Well, how do you, how have you shown you love, you love us? You're offering despised and dishonoring animals. But how have we despised you? They, they constantly, they're not interested in getting better. They're just interested in arguing with God and not changing. You know, there are some people who would rather just keep arguing than admit that someone else is right. That's where the believers in Malachi's day are. God's right, but they would rather argue than get right. And so throughout the book, this is the seventh time they're going to ask God a question. God says, your words against me are harsh. And they say, what have we spoken against you? And he says, listen, I can hear when you whisper. I know what you're saying in your mind. And this is what you're saying. It is useless to serve God. What have we gained by keeping his requirements and walking mournfully? He gives the picture. What have we gained by serving God? We go to church, we bring our sacrifices and we're going through all these things. And what have we gained? All we do is walk around mournfully. Can I tell you, if you look at the Bible as simply a book of law and do's and don'ts, your life is going to be mournful. It is. Because the truth is, is none of us can keep the law. We would find that we are a failure every day. And so as they think, oh, God wants us to do this, and God calls us to do that, and God says do that, we don't want to do that anymore. Matter of fact, we think that those who are arrogant and just turn away from God altogether, they're better off than we are. Matter of fact, we'd be better off if we were just wicked rather than following God and walking mournfully. As we think about these folks, they have a wrong heart, a wrong focus, and a wrong perspective. And when people say, I'm going to read the Bible, but they have a wrong heart. They, they don't read the Bible right. The Bible is not a book of laws, and it's not a book of do's and don'ts. The Bible is a love letter that says, I'm sending my son, the Lord Jesus. And no, you can't keep the law. But Jesus can bring forgiveness. And I want to guide you on your path so you can live to your highest potential. I have created you and I have a plan for you. And I want you to see and know and do what is best. But they're like, man, we don't want to have anything to do with God. Serving God is just useless. And so God confronts them. Your words are harsh and you think you're pulling one over on me by whispering to your neighbor, but I hear and I see it all. God not only knows and confronts the wicked, 
But then what we find is that God knows and calms the righteous. This next section, he starts what we would consider a new thought or a new paragraph. He turns, he's confronted them. Your words against me are harsh because you've said it's useless to serve God and you think it's better to be wicked and prosperous. But let me show you what happens when someone has a soft heart, a proper focus, an eternal view. Let me show you what their life is like. So the Lord then shows in verse number 16. Notice with me what, what it says. At that time, the, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. The Lord took notice and listened. You know what's interesting about this passage? is that the unrighteous were facing the same circumstances as the righteous. They were walking still in the same type of hardship, insecurity, no Messiah, no prosperity, famine around them. They were both walking in the same storm. And one says, serving God's useless. He's not doing what we want him to do. I have rubbed my, my genie's lamp today and God hasn't come through for me. So serving him is just out of the question. And then the other ones, they're righteous and the Lord is going to begin to work in this calming, moving way. I have watched believers walk through challenge and difficulty in their life. And there's something even amid the tears and the tragedy and sorrow, that there's a sense of calm and perseverance in the presence of the Lord. One of our Sunday school teachers that teaches, his name is Don Clifford. Don has buried multiple children when, when he was a young man, when they were small and at home. Then his wife got sick, and for years he would stay with his wife pretty much 24 hours a day. He would rush here and leave her for one hour to teach Bible study, and then he would go back home and minister to his wife. He did that for years. And what I watched is a man of faith and perseverance who never got bitter and didn't get angry, but walked because the Lord brought his presence. Kelly Pendleton is right over here, and Kelly's husband, Kevin, died tragically on November the 13th of 2018. Complete surprise. You don't expect when you're living and doing life that your spouse is going to die. She just shared this past week on Facebook how she was able to donate organs and touch and impact other people's lives. But through the tears and through the sorrow and through the heartache, the Lord has shown his hand. We have our grief share ministry. Ladies who have walked through the fire and the challenges of life. And listen, there are still tears and there are still hurts and there, is still, there are still moments of desperation. But there is this sense of the calming presence of the Lord. So what we find is four truths. And by the way, we're only going to get through point one today. So if you're looking at point two and three and thinking, man, how's this guy ever going to do this? Just 
take a breath. We're only going to get through point one today. I heard about the uh, preacher who preached a really long message one time, and the guy, uh, someone came up to him afterwards, and he said, that sermon would be a great series. Well, uh, we're not going to do the whole series in one day, but we're just going to cover point one today. See, many, many of you even here today are facing challenges and difficulty. You've had a cancer diagnosis. You're walking through the fire. We have several of our men that are walking through that. We have uh, one of our church members who stepped into eternity yesterday. Life can be very challenging. But through the challenges, we find the Lord moving and showing himself in four ways. First off, notice with me in verse number 16. At that time, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And then notice what it says. The Lord took notice and listened. The Lord knows our words. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, during the hardships and the challenges in life, there were those who feared the Lord, who spoke to others and encouraged them in the faith. And the Lord took note. He listened. He watched that. He noticed that. When someone comes alongside someone who is hurting and you share a word or you share that I'm praying for you or you share a scripture, there is power in that. There is power in God's word that releases God's power and reminds us of God's presence so that in Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 8, before Joshua went into battle, the Lord says, you shall not let this, uh, let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Keep God's word in your mouth. You want to encourage somebody? You want to come alongside so that the Lord will take notice of your speech? Then you speak scripture. You speak prayer. You point people to the Lord. So he says, uh, don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate in it day and night. He didn't say, hey, Keep thinking on this only. He said, as you step into battle, as you face the challenges, as your army fails, I want you to keep the book of the law in your mouth, continually speaking scripture. Joshua, through the victory at Jericho or the defeat at Ai, you keep speaking scripture through the good times and the bad times. You know, it's interesting. One of the signs of the filling of the spirit in Ephesians chapter five, verse number 18 where it says, do not be drunk in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And then it says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When I am filled with the Spirit, it changes how I talk. That's what he's saying. Matter of fact, in Colossians chapter 3, and verse number 16, Paul then turns it and says, and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So Paul tells us that when I'm filled with the Spirit and I'm filled with the Scripture, that out of my mouth are going to come words that bring edification. As Psalm 105 says, that the Lord sent his word and healed them. There is power in this word. So use your words carefully. And you know what happens when the pressure gets on in our life? and the difficulty comes into our life, you know what comes out? What's in our heart. Psalm 19, David, as he would come to the end of that psalm, 
Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Or Matthew 12, 34, where Jesus says, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. If you're not thinking about the right stuff, if you're not filled with the Spirit, then when the pressure comes on, comes on, then out of your mouth can spew things of the flesh. But the Lord says, no, I'm taking note. I'm listening to your words. Not only is he listening to their words, but he is regarding their respect. He is noticing and, and, and realizing and recognizing the respect that, that they have for him. Notice what it says in verse number uh, 16. At, th- at that time, those who feared the Lord spoke. Feared the Lord. You know, Psalm 128.1 says, blessed or happy are those who fear the Lord. We're blessed. Even when life is shaking around us. You know what the key to wisdom and knowledge and direction is? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Do you know what hope and security comes as we fear the Lord? Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. The picture is, is as we're focused on the things of the Lord and we're speaking the words of the Lord, then something awesome and wonderful happens. And this is what happens next. Okay, so the Lord in the first two things, the Lord knows what we're saying and the Lord knows how we're feeling our respect for him. But then the Lord takes action and this brings calm in the storm. If you're going through a storm today and you're facing hardship today and there's a lot of uncertainty today and there's a lot of volatility in your life today, I want to tell you, this next part of what the Lord says should bring hope not only for life but for eternity. Notice back with me in in verse number 13 and following. Or verse 16. Verse 16 and following. At that time, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. The Lord took notice and listened. And notice what it says. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and had high regard for his name. The Lord records our name. What does that mean? What is he talking about? The Lord records our names. This is what he's talking about. It's referenced in Daniel chapter one. It's referenced throughout the New Testament as well. But there is a book There is a book that is written that the names of all genuine believers, their names are in that book. It is a book of the citizenship of heaven. He is talking about the book of life. He is saying, look, I watched those who were speaking and I could tell their heart and that they were fearing and and recognizing me. So I wrote their name down on the citizenship of heaven list. Now, I haven't reminded you of this in a while, but let me remind you today again. You as a believer are not a citizen of earth who will one day go to heaven. You are a citizen of heaven who is merely passing through the earth. Philippians 3.20 reminds us that at the moment we come to know Jesus as our Savior, that we are citizens of heaven, that our citizenship is in heaven, is what it tells us in Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 20. And because our citizenship is in heaven, even through the difficulty and the tragedy, we know ultimately there is triumph. 
We know that the Lord has our name down. Now, there's lots of, lots of books. Lots of books. You could go to the record books of Jefferson County and find that Gene Perstrope and Julie Plymail married on June the 19th, 1993. You can look through the court books. You used to be able, when we had phone books, which some of you don't know anything about phone books, we had phone books, and your name would be in the phone book. There would be Perstrope. And for a few years, when they had phone books, right after we got married, our name was in the phone book. For years, my name was in a yearbook, a school yearbook. Then, uh, uh, especially in seminary, we had a, a yearbook, so we would have all of our seminary buddies' names in it. You can Google my name. And you can find my name on different things, a list of the staff at First Baptist Church of St. Charles, or you might find sermons or podcasts. You might find that. But there is one place where my name is written down and it matters for eternity. And that is that my name is written down as a citizen of heaven. And it happened that moment that I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. The Lord wrote my name down in the book. And listen, if you don't know your name's in the book, that's life's most important decision. If you don't know that you've trusted Jesus and you don't, you're not sure your name's in the book, this is life's most important decision. Because Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 15 reminds us, and if anyone's name is not written in the book, they are cast into the lake of fire. They are not citizens of heaven. They are cast away from God forever and ever and ever. So this is essential and this brings hope and this brings help and this brings healing. Listen, life's hard, but heaven's sure because your name's in the book. My name's in the book. So life's going to be hard for a little while. There's going to be a lot of pain for a little while. If I live long enough, I'm going to bury people that I love. I should say, bury more people that I love. But one thing I'm sure of, my name's in the book. And because my name's in the book, it's going to be okay. Not only does the Lord know our words, recognize our respect, write our names down, but then he secures us for all eternity. He secures us. He is the one who has his hand on us. The Lord secures us. Notice in verse number 17. They will be mine, says the Lord of armies. The Lord who has all power over creation. The Lord who has all power over all angelic armies and all human armies and all the celestial hosts in the sky, that Lord says, you're mine. You're mine. I got you. My hope of getting to heaven is not me holding on to God, but the fact that I know he's holding on to me. Because he said, that one, he's one of mine. There's hope in that. There's help in that. There's joy in that. There's triumph in that. 
that, that as I face life and the challenges that neither death nor, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of Christ or not make me his anymore. I'm secure in him. I'm sure in him. My salvation is steadfast in him. They will be mine, says the Lord. And I'm his. Not because of anything that I've done. Not because of work, working for the Lord. Not because of giving to the Lord. But simply because I came to understand and recognize I'm a sinner before the Lord. That needed a savior who was from the Lord Jesus. They will be mine. Jesus assures us of this in John chapter 10 and verse number 11, where he says, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Okay, that's a, that's a word. Jesus has died on the cross for, for us. But then in John chapter 10, verse 27 through 30, he gives us that the, the, they will be mine of the New Testament. Jesus says this in John 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they'll never perish. Neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand. I'm his. Neither shall any man pluck them out of uh, my hand. The Father which gave them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to pluck them out of the Father's hand. Our hope and security is found in the fact that Jesus lived as a good shepherd and died for us. And now he says to us, sheep, I know you hear my voice. If, you're, if you've trusted the Lord, you're one of his sheep. And he says, follow me. I'll give you eternal life. You could have it right now. Some people are thinking, you know what? Nobody really knows if they're going to die, or if they're going to go to heaven or hell when they die. They just have to die and then let God sort it out. That's not what Jesus says. That's not, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life. Or 1 John five thirteen. These things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. We can know it. We can have it. Now, matter of fact, if you don't know it and you don't have it now, the chances of dying and knowing or of having it at that point are probably very slim. Our hope is in Jesus alone. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, you know what we're celebrating? That Jesus was the good shepherd who died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And he rose again. And now I have received salvation so that when I take of that bread, I'm picturing Jesus died on the cross for me. When I drink of the cup, I picture his blood and I say, I know that Jesus shed his blood for me. When he died to pay the penalty for my sin, Jesus died for me. And because of that, I've trusted Jesus. I'm one of his sheep. I'm one of his. My name's in heaven. Glory, hallelujah. I celebrate because of him. Can I ask you today, do you know that you know Jesus? Do you know that you've had a time in your life where you have opened up your heart to, to, to personally receive Jesus in your life? 
if you don't know that, this is life's most important decision. And it's not through taking the Lord's Supper or coming to church. It's through recognizing I'm a sinner. Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And he, I trusting him alone, is the only way of salvation. You've never done that. Today's the day. If you're a believer, Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that before we partake of the Lord's Supper, we need to search our own hearts to make sure that our walk and our worship match up, to make sure that our heart is right before we partake and proclaim to others, I know that I know Jesus. So in just a moment, we're going to sing. It's a time of reflection. Maybe some of you need to pray. Maybe some of you just at your seat just need to come before the Lord and there's something that you need to deal with. There's a, a sin issue. Maybe there's something you need to lay down before the Lord. But if God's speaking, would you say yes to him? Let's take a moment and pray. Jesus, uh, we thank you uh, for your word. God, we thank you for the book, the record book of heaven, that we can know that we have eternal life and we can know our names down. Thank you that uh, because of Jesus, we can be forgiven of sin and have hope. And God, speak to us. Lord, if there's someone here who doesn't know Jesus, God, speak to them. And if there's someone here who says that they're a follower of Jesus and they're off course right now, bring them to repentance in your wonderful name. Amen.